Today we have the great privilege to take the Lord's Supper together again. So I want to give some uh, words of challenge and preparation for that time together with the Lord. Title of the message is Do Not Defile Communion with Christ. The passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 21, and I want to read it for you now. You read it along with me. Therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Or your translation may say, a sharing in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is, not, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we will all partake of the, uh, of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Why do I imply, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. This is Paul's writing to the church at Corinth in his letter to them. The Lord's Supper is abused in our day, I believe, in one of two ways. Some people look at the Supper as a means of receiving grace from God. This is the way they receive salvation, is by taking the Lord's Supper. This view is unhealthy because it makes the Supper a type of vaccination against sin and idolatry. As long as you take the supper, you're vaccinated against sin. It doesn't have its wicked effect in your heart. And so you're safe. And if you stop taking it for some reason, then you lose vaccination and you enter back into sin and you are lost. And so it's unhealthy. Other people look at the supper as a trite ceremony that holds no true significance in the life of the believer. Obviously, many of us have held this view in the past, or possibly you have, because we believe that it was cluttering up the morning service, we moved it to a less significant place in our weekly schedule. You know, we put it on once a quarter at night, the least attended service, because we wouldn't want people to suffer through it. And we treated it as, as if it had no meaning at all and no significance in our lives or the lives of those who took it with us. So both of these views are dangerous to the Christian and to the church. They cheapen the true meaning of the, of the Lord's Supper. Both views cheapen the meaning, the true meaning. And today I want to take a moment to look at this scripture with you and pull out two truths about this ordinance of the church. Two truths. So let's uh, look at this text together. If you look at the 10th chapter as a whole, the, the whole 10th chapter is really dealing with one common thread Throughout the chapter, we see it in verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Then we look down, if you continue down to verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. 
And then again, if you look at verse 19, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? See it in verse 19. Then in verse 28, he comes back and says, But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, that do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of your conscience, of conscience. The point of, the power, of this powerful chapter is that there is a correct view, a healthy view of the Lord's Supper. And the Corinthians don't have a healthy view. They have a very uh, weak view of the Lord's Supper. And they view it as an inoculation, a vaccination against idolatry. They believe if they take the Lord's Supper, they can do whatever they choose in the world because they're safe from sin. They, the, people, the people Paul is concerned for have elevated eating bread and drinking the cup as a type of sacramental vaccine that will prevent them from being caught up in idolatry. The people were grossly involved in many of the pagan practices of prostitution, incest. We see that in chapter 5. Frequent divorce. In chapter 7, he has to give instruction about divorce. Participating in festivals for the idol worship. They continue to do this, and we see that the 10th and the 11th chapter are consumed with instructions about not taking meat offered to idols in an unholy way. The Corinthians overestimated the power of the Lord's Supper in this way. They believed that it would, as long as they took the Lord's Supper, they were okay. They believed that about the Lord's Supper. Because they overestimated and abused the Supper in this way, they underestimated and devalued the power of the Lord's Supper to bring them into close communion with life and the death of Jesus Christ personally. By devaluing the true meaning of the Lord's Supper, the Christians at Corinth nullified the true power of the Supper for the fight against idolatry. So what are we dealing with here? So what we're dealing with is something that's tremendously serious in the life of this church, not just the church at Corinth. The Lord's Supper is precious beyond words. It's a gift from Jesus Christ to His church. It's not only a reminder of His death for us, but it's also an occasion where we draw near to Him and are nourished by an intimate relationship that is strengthened by the shedding of His blood and the offering of His broken body. And yet it's possible to overestimate the power of the Lord's Supper and actually make it an encouragement for sinning. So you can be one of two people in this room. You can have no value for it. This is just a waste of time. And you lose the sweetness of the communion and the opportunity to meet with the Lord in this time. Or you can overemphasize it and you can believe this saves you. Taking this juice and eating this bread saves you. And then you lose its power to bring you into communion because you're worshiping it instead of Christ, and then you're given occasion to sin. You begin to live in sin, and mainly idolatry. So, the first view. The first mistake that Christians at Corinth made, and that we are prone to make, is that we overestimate the power of the supper to make us immune to the power of idolatry. Idolatry is not often talked about in our day, unfortunately. I would dare say that the majority of us in here are guilty of idolatry on a daily basis. You are guilty of it. And you say, well, no, I'm not. I don't have a little statue in my closet that I pull open and have incense to. No, our idolatry is much worse than that because you can throw 
wooden statues out the door and you can break the curse of the sin of idolatry in that way. But we, are, we have a much more grievous sin and idolatry. Everything that is material is our idol. We worship it versus Christ. I say even the fascination that many had with the movie, uh, The Passion of the Christ, and I, I'm not against it. I went and saw it. I encouraged you to go see it. It had a right place in our lives to help us remember the suffering of the Lord. But unfortunately, many people replaced and began to worship that depiction of Christ and His suffering. That became the end-all, be-all of how to show somebody the way Christ suffered. And the sad thing is it was idolatrous because it only focused on His physical suffering. It could not depict to you on a screen the suffering, the true suffering of Christ, which was internal and spiritual and separation from God with our sin. See, it failed there, so it was a type of Christ, a type of a picture of Christ, but it was not the full depiction. And so if you idolize that, if you begin to look at that and say, now I know what Jesus went through, and you begin in some way to worship that image, that's why our forefathers in the church fought so uh, hard to fight against physical representations of Christ and physical uh, icons that, that were easily worshipped because we are prone to slip into this type. All of us are. A false belief in this way would sound something like this. I have eaten the bread of the Lord's Supper. I have drunk from the cup of the Lord's Supper. I have even been baptized uh, into Christ by the water of baptism. This means that I'm safe and secure from all sin. And I no more have to worry about my sin. And I can go and live as I choose. I can worship anything. I can do anything with my actions. But Paul demonstrates that this is a terrible mistake. Look at the first part of chapter 10 when he gives the example or warning against idolatry. Look at this. He says in verse 1, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock Jesus Christ, that flowed, uh, followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, listen to this, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown, laid waste in the wilderness. So the, everybody in Israel went through the Red Sea. Everybody in Israel was led by the crowd. Everyone in Israel went to the tabernacle and worshipped. Everyone in Israel drank from the, from the rock that flowed with water, a representation, a type of Christ. All of them ate the manna, the heavenly bread that fell out of heaven. All of them did these things, and yet almost every one of them died in the wilderness, all except Je uh, Joshua and Caleb. Two people were spared out of all of those. They all died in the wilderness. And so his warning is, you can do the physical things. You can physically take this bread. You can physically drink this juice. And it cannot help you physically. It is not a vaccination. It will not purify you. It will not make you have relationship with Jesus Christ. It cannot. It has no power over those things. It's meaningless in that way. It cannot keep you from sin physically. It's not a physical thing. Paul is comparing the Christian ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper to the Israelites who went through the Red Sea and ate manna and drank water from the desert rock. So now we can see the Corinthians' mistake. 
They were overestimating the power of the Lord's Supper and baptism by thinking that if they just ate this food and drank this drink, God would be pleased with them and they would be safe from His judgment, even if they went on participating in in the idle feasts of their Corinthian friends. This is frighteningly close to the way millions of professing Christians view the Lord's Supper today as a grace dispenser, a sacramental anecdote that immunizes against all forms of worldly idolatry. If you show up and eat and drink, you're safe. If you're dunked in the water of baptism, you're saved. And now I can go and participate in secularism, materialism, and the worship of my idols, and God will not judge me for those things because I've been vaccinated. It doesn't stick to me anymore as long as I do these ordinances. In the Baptist church... We devalued, uh, for years in my own life, I devalued the Lord's Supper, but I held on to baptism like it was the test of faith. If somebody hadn't been immersed under the water, I questioned their real relationship with Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is, you can't be baptized by water and be in Christ and be assured of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Just because you've been baptized doesn't mean that. Baptism in water does not save a man. Baptism in water is an outward symbol of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit that baptizes a man at the point of his salvation. It's an outward symbol. It's a manifestation. It's a confession of Christ. And it's nothing more than that. And the outward symbols of the Lord's Supper are likewise. Just because you eat this bread and drink this uh, juice doesn't mean you actually are in Christ. You can do that. And have never been a believer. So, Paul says you are not safe. Let, look at verse 12. Let him who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. Now, that's usually taken out of context. What Paul's saying here is, some people think they're safe because they've been through the ordinances of the church. They've associated with a local fellowship of believers they've been at church they've been to sunday school they've done the good things they've been baptized they take the lord's supper i'm safe and he says let every man who believes he's standing take heed lest he fall if you're standing on those things they you will fall in other words you cannot be saved by that outward manifestation the Lord's Supper does not protect us from the judgment of God. If we go on craving and grumbling and idolizing the way the world does, Israel, the Israelites came to ruin in the wilderness. Look at verse 5. They came to ruin in the wilderness. With most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown. They came to ruin in the wilderness. And the same thing can happen to you and can happen to me and can happen to our children that was their first mistake. They overestimated, the Corinthians overestimated the power of the Lord's Supper to protect them from destructive effects of idolatry. They substituted the sacraments for personal holiness. The second problem, which I think is just as common or more common today in our church, is that they underestimated the true fellowship that is offered by Jesus Christ through the fellowship of communion. The Lord's Supper does not offer any external protection from the life of sin or the sin of idolatry. A person can take this supper every day and still worship at the idols of their life and not have intimate communion with the Lord. But the supper holds, if it's taken by faith, 
a significance because it brings us into right communion. It encourages us to meet with the Lord. It brings us to a point of remembrance. We participate in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We partake in it when we take the Lord's Supper. So the Supper does have power, but the power is in fellowship that Jesus offers us through the Supper, not power in the Supper itself. Do you understand? The power is not in these physical elements. The power is in Jesus Christ who offers you fellowship through the worship of Him in the communion. That's where the power is. It's in Jesus Christ. Paul urges the Corinthians to flee idolatry in verse 14. Be careful to judge what, you, what Paul says. He, he tells them that in verse 15. And then in verse 16, he tells them how the supper is able to help them conquer idolatry. So what's his argument? How can it help me conquer idolatry? I'm guilty of idolatry. You're guilty of idolatry. How can the supper benefit us? How can it help us in this uh, pursuit? <clears throat> Does this mean... Uh, we, we, the, the way the offering he makes in verse 16 is that we participate or we partake in the blood and body of Christ. Look at verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? You see that, the word participation. So what does this mean? Does this mean like the... Catholics say, and even like Luther said, that God through Christ shows up and is in the elements in some special supernatural way that when you take pray over this bread, it actually becomes the physical body and the physical blood of Jesus Christ. Is that what we're saying when we say if we're participating in it? That, that's what it looks like. If you just read it, you, you read this and you read John, the Gospel of John chapter 6, and you see that he who eats my body lives forever. He who drinks my blood shall never die. You think that's what he's saying. That must be it. So we're going to pray in a little while and this, these crackers and this juice are going to transform. That's what it seems like. But that is not what the scripture says. I want to show you what, how powerful this really is. How this weapon can be used so powerfully to defeat sin and idolatry in your life. The key to understanding the word participate... The key to that is in, verse, uh, is in verse 18 and verse 20. Look at verse 18. Consider the people of Israel, Paul says. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? Okay. Now, if participate means that the physical symbols become Christ, then Paul would be saying the physical symbols become the altar. You see that? So the people would no longer be eating the sacrifice. They'd be eating the altar. That wasn't true. They didn't eat the altar. It would have been hard to eat. It was made of gold. So it was in, in wood. And so it would have been very hard to eat. So that can't be what he means. That the sacrifice actually becomes the altar. It can't literally mean that. It rather means that they share or participate in the benefits of the sacrifice on the altar. The Israelites participated, benefited from the sacrifice they offered on the altar. They benefited. What was the benefit? God forgave sin. God rolled it forward. God offered them a mediator. 
God offered them relationship with Him through the, sacri- through the sacrifices on the altar. Now do you see it? Verse 16 says, You are participating in the blood and the body of Christ when you take the Lord's Supper. The benefit is what we participate. The benefit is what we gain. We gain by being with Him in communion and in fellowship. We, it's heightened in this moment of taking the sacrament, the, uh, I don't mind saying that, sacrament or ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We take it and we heighten our understanding. We heighten our involvement. We turn our focus and our mind to the benefit to praise God for forgiveness through the cross, relationship through the cross, forgiveness and power over sin in my life through the cross. It all happens here at the moment of taking this supper. And so it is significant, just as it was significant that they ate sacrifices in the Old Testament. He goes on in verse 20 to make a further point about participation. Look at verse 20. No, I imply, he says, that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. So again, if the definition of participate is it becomes, that, that, that it becomes, then the supper, the sacrifice, would be becoming, that they gave to idols, would be becoming a demon. Is that what Paul means? That when you eat the meat that's offered to an idol, that you're eating a demon? No, that's not what it means. It can't be what it means. Demons are spiritual. Meat is physical. It couldn't be that you're really eating demons. So what does he mean? What he's saying is that they participate in this offering to idols by entangling themselves with demons, submitting themselves to it, practicing and participating in a fellowship with demons. And so he says, I don't want you to participate. I don't want you to partake with demons. But what does he want? He wants to strengthen, deepen, concrete our participation in the benefit of the cross through the Lord's Supper. Nourish our fellowship with Christ through the Lord's Supper. And the reason this is powerful against idolatry is given to us in verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You can't because when you truly partake of this cup and this bread you will be nourished and satisfied in a way that will make you love the Lord so much that delighting in the Lord will become your aim and trusting in Him and the fellowship you have with Him will become all that you want and all that you desire in such a way that you will not turn to your physical idols and you will not find satisfaction in the sin of this world. You will only find satisfaction in Christ. That's why the Lord's Supper matters. That's why it's not a waste of our time. That's why we should emphasize it and put it in our services often. Because the truth is, many of you have way too much familiarity with sin and idols. And you find your satisfaction with them. But God offers you satisfaction in Christ. And He gives you a physical moment through the supper where you can remember that. Turn back to it if you've left it come back into a close communion with Him and enjoy that communion daily between times that you take the supper. I would go this far. This supper will be meaningless to you as long as you show up here 
worshiping personal idols. It'll be meaningless to you. It'll be a waste of your time. Your concern will not be with this. It will be with what you can go and do and be a part of the rest of this day and the week to come. Your mind will turn to the things of the flesh during a service like this because you have no communion with Christ on a daily basis. So when you show up here with no communion, there's no communion here either. Because the only way this is significant is if you have a communion through faith with Jesus Christ. That's the only way it's a benefit to you. And if you have it, if you have that relationship, that communion, that sweetness in your time with Christ through faith daily, when you show up here, this is a grand celebration. This is a convicting and a deep purging of the soul and a reunification with things that you already enjoy daily. I want to conclude with this. Today's message is really more about what you're doing when you're not at the Lord's table than it is what you're doing when you're at the Lord's table. The Word of God is saying you are about to participate in the fellowship of Christ suffering on the cross. How could you ever defile that this week by sitting down at the table of your personal idols? That's what Paul is saying. You are about to sit down and feast with the Lord over His suffering on the cross. How can your mind so quickly turn back to your idols and your sin? You see, the only purification we can receive is not through legalism. We cannot will and legal law the sin out of our life. We cannot do it. It will fail. But Christ will never fail. You want victory over sin. You want victory over your idols. And I don't know what they are. They may be varied in here. I'm sure they are. You want victory over those things. You want communion with Christ. It can't come by rule and by law. That fails. What can it come through? It can come through humble submission to Him and saying, Lord, what you did for me on the cross is enough. It's enough. I don't have to add to it any of my actions. I simply come submitting myself, my members, myself to you. We see that in his text here. And he says, we all take of one bread and we are one body. That's true because we all have one faith in one Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who fellowships with us and communes with us. So your idolatry, your sin are the issue. I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, Take this today, observe it as a remembrance and as a challenge to commune with Him daily and crucify the flesh in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and then participate in the blood and the body of Christ by communion with Him over this supper. So how will we take the Lord's Supper today? We will not pass it out. We're not going to do that. What we're going to do is offer you a time of repentance and reflection quiet and stillness we know that the lord took this supper with his disciples before he went to the cross and he said this is my body i've given for you take and eat this is my blood which i've shed for you take and drink and he gave it to them in faith and they received it in faith so what i'm saying to you is i believe there are things in your heart there are things in my heart that must be dealt with the deadness of your heart must be dealt with. 
and it can only be dealt with between you and the Father and His mediator, Jesus Christ. And so I'm pleading with you, crucify the flesh by the Spirit and then take communion with the Lord and cherish this time that you have. And we will close um, after everyone has taken and eaten and drank the blood. Let's pray. Father, clearly, this is more than simple uh, symbols that can just be taken and eaten and thought of lightly and move on. But Lord, it is not the actual, it's not actually your body and your blood. Lord, don't let us fall on either horn. Don't let us go either direction. Don't let us trivialize it and don't let us make it an idol. But yet let us have victory over sin and flesh and idols in our life through your sweet communion and use this as a banquet to celebrate your victory on the cross and the grace you extend to us through your cross. Lord, I pray for those who are here. Lord, there are many who are dead in their spirit. There's a, there's a deadness and an and a easy spirit towards sin that runs among us. It's a plague. It's like gangrene in our body. So many live in so much sin on a daily basis, they don't even recognize it any longer as sin, and they're dead to it. So, Lord, please make them sensitive in their hearts. Soften them. Mold them. Lord, there are those among us who need the communion daily. They don't have it, and they haven't had it for a long time, if ever. And so today is meaningless to them in many ways because they, Lord, don't love you with all their heart and soul and mind. But I ask you in these quiet moments they'll have, I ask you to move on them with your spirit in a fresh and new way and breathe life into their bones and breathe, breathe life into their heart and give them a heart of flesh and soften that heart of flesh that is becoming hard with sin and help them to repent and cling to your cross and commune with you today and help them to do it through the outward symbol which solidifies in our mind our commitment, our vow. Lord, our vow is that we want to be faithful servants of a faithful God all the days of our life and you will have to complete it for us. We are unable to do it on our own. Lord, I pray that you would move among us, tear down the walls of sin, rectify the altars to Christ so that we might worship and commune. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This table is open to anyone who has rightly divided their own heart through the Holy Spirit and seen that they want communion with the Lord. If you are not a believer, then we ask that you do not participate in the Lord's Supper. If you are a believer, the table is open to you when you are ready, when you feel it's appropriate in its time. So enter into a time of prayer and take the supper as you feel you're ready.